One time I was drunk on a morning show in Montana The host asked me if I had a nickname Said my friends call me the Dirtbag King She said on the air I started giggling Hasn't had me back but now I've got this podcast Welcome to my podcast. Hey, Dirtbags, thank you so much for tuning in to A Dirtbag's Guide to Life on the Road. This is your host, Charles Ellsworth, and as always, I am so happy to have you here. We've got a great episode for you today. We've got Brandon Decker of the band, Decker, and I'm so glad I got to interview him. Brandon and I have kind of been dancing around each other in similar circles out in Arizona and the Southwest for I mean, almost a decade now, and our paths have never really crossed, and I'm just so glad that Jeff Cher Moses put us in touch and we were able to have this interview. It was really fun. It was really cool to get to know him, hear about his process in how he got to where he is now and how his relationship with music has changed throughout the years and his approach to it and how he's still staying as true to his vision as he possibly can. His new record that we talk about quite a bit in the episode is just an accomplishment of just a huge magnitude that I've, I've, I don't feel like I've ever tried to to achieve and it's it's just so so cool it, it's an amazing record I got to listen to it he sent me a link and I'm just fucking blown away by it sounds amazing it seems like the way they made it is really cool I don't want to get too into it because we talk about it quite a bit in the episode and I want you all to hear it from his perspective and from his mouth it was really really cool to interview brandon i can't say enough how much fun i had talking to him and i really look forward to our paths crossing again i'm really excited for y'all to get to the interview but real quick i just want to say a few things first off if you're listening to this episode the day it comes out or within a couple days of it coming out don't forget come by bar frida on the 27th of december i'm going to be playing a solo show one of those classic chuck and his acoustic guitar just getting down by his own old lonesome as a lot of you guys are familiar with since, you know, from the days before the Space Force deserters. I'm going to be playing with my friend Bobby Stevens from St. Louis and also my new friend, Eggshell Emily. It's going to be really fun. It's going to be a cool, chilled time. It's 7.30, $10 at the door. Come on through. It's going to be really fun. Next, if you want to support the podcast, the best way you can do that is at Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash Charles Ellsworth is where you find out what it is I'm doing over there. And just to give you a little clue of what they do over at Patreon, Patreon's a platform in which you can support artists or causes or things that you think are important and that you think deserve your financial investment. And the way you do that is you sign up for a different tier. Usually ours is five, ten, twenty dollars a month. Whatever you wouldn't miss at the end of the month goes to me, goes towards helping me make the show, helping me make music, go on tour, do all of the things. It helps kind of cover the dead times between tours and when I just don't have money coming in. Patreon's a great way for me to kind of just be able to cover my basics. It makes so much of a difference to me in my life, I can't even tell you. And I really, really appreciate everybody who is a patron right now. You all are my fucking heroes. I love you. Thank you for sticking it out with me this year. Got some really exciting stuff that I'm doing over on Patreon this next year. I announced it recently. I talked a little bit about it, and I would love for you to find out more. If you go to patreon.com forward slash Charles Ellsworth, you can read about that. And I'm going to be talking more and more about it as it happens here on the podcast throughout next year. But if you want a front row seat, if you want early access to everything that's going on, be sure 
to become a patron over at patreon.com forward slash Charles Ellsworth. It makes a big difference for me. It doesn't require that much of you, and everybody wins. If right now money's kind of tight or you're just not in a position where you can commit a certain dollar amount each month, it's okay. There's ways you can support the show and me without having to spend any money at all. The best way you can do that is by going to the Apple Podcast app, finding the show, A Dirtbag's Guide to Life on the Road. Make sure you give us a review and a five-star rating. The review doesn't have to be super in-depth, just something along the lines of, I like the show because, and you can just write a few different sentences. Um, It doesn't, like I said, doesn't have to be too intense. You just let them know why you like the show, three or four sentences, and then if someone comes upon the show and they're like hey what's the show about i wonder if i will like it they can read your review and be like hey i like those things i'm gonna give it a shot and that's how we grow that's how we make the show more of a viable thing more of a thing that can keep itself afloat and that's how we keep the show growing and get into new and new audiences and we get new guests and all different sort of things i really love the community that i've built around that we've built around the show and our, our dirt bags and i love the comments that you leave and and the messages you send me it's really really cool it means so much if you want to send me an email or a message at dirtbagsguide at gmail.com is a great way to do that but yeah give us a review rating on the apple podcast app make sure you're following us on spotify stitcher wherever you listen to podcasts make sure you're following or subscribe to us and last but not least give my music a listen that's kind of one of the main things i do my main gig charles ellsworth you look it up on spotify apple music wherever you listen to music give it a listen whatever songs you like if they speak to you add them to playlists that you listen to regularly send them to friends family people you think would enjoy it same with the podcast just share it it makes a huge difference to me it means so much that we're growing and we're accessing more and more people more and more people are enjoying the stories that we tell and the way we honor a life in motion a life on the road i'm so grateful for each and every one of you listening to this podcast right now i can't tell you how much it means to me i'm going to be taking next week off because of the holiday i just kind of want to take a week off restart in 2023 not restart but we're gonna have new shows 2023 lots of great episodes every week coming up thank you so much for listening happy holidays take care of yourself be well and if you're struggling with anything right now mental health whatever you're struggling with please talk to somebody there's so many people out there that want to help you and want to make sure that you're doing okay you're not alone in this struggle it may feel like you are but i promise you you are not please reach out to someone thank you so much for listening enjoy this conversation with my friend brandon decker i'm i'm here with you charles all good, all good. How's your day been going so far? Oh, it's just uh, full of fun. Well, I mean, Brandon, we've been kind of dancing around each other for something like almost a decade now. At least I've been aware of, of you and, and your movements a little bit, and but we just never quite fully crossed paths. So it's it's really cool to to actually finally get to have a conversation with you, dude. Yeah, likewise. Thank you for... Um... Thank you for putting it together. Yeah, of course. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Um, I'd love to just kind of start off at the beginning. Where Where are you from originally? Where were you born? I was born in Denver, Colorado, um, 1980. I lived in Denver, Dallas, Louisville, St. Louis as a kid. I moved out to California for a bit. I've been in Arizona for 18 years. Okay, so that's the longest place you've called home now? Oh, for sure, yeah. And why did you move around so much? Was it your folks, the the work yeah, they did? Or? When I was a kid, yeah, I was just following around my stepdad's job, basically. And did he that have any... Oh, I'm really? Kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> it's a very interesting... This conversation is going to go a much different yeah. direction than I thought it was going to. <laughs> He's dead now, so I can talk about it. No, I'm just kidding. 
<laughs> um, well, did that, I mean, do you think that had any sort of effect on, on your choice to like get into music or get into like traveling and playing music? What is, um, I mean, what sort of effect do you think moving around a lot as a kid had on you as the adult you became? I think it affected me getting into drugs and getting into drugs had me get into music, um, which I okay. kind of say in jest, but kind of uh, truthfully too. Yeah, I mean, I, my childhood was, I, I, I would say, on the spectrum of traumatizing. And, um, you know, I, I did love music from an early age. I still know songs that I listened to when I was in, yeah, a kid seven, eight years old. Um, mm-hmm. I definitely always loved music, but I was a late bloomer on getting into it. I didn't start playing music seriously till I was about 26. I was okay, really? envious of how old were you when you started writing songs? I mean, I played in bands and, and like, you know, mess around with friends and we wrote some stuff uh, like when I was starting at like 15, but I didn't start writing songs that I would say are like my own songs until I was probably 2021. Yeah, see, I, I'm envious of people like you that were kind of hacking away at the craft uh, at, at, at an earlier age. How old are you now, Charles? I'm 35. Okay. How about you? I'm 42. Oh, nice. So we've, we've probably been in it a, a, a very similar amount of time, but you've uh, but you started later as far as, you know, overall timelines of, you know, when we were born, I guess. Yeah, you could say that. I put my first record out in 20, uh, 2009. Oh, cool. And that's like, so the band I played in in Arizona for a few years before they broke up and I moved to Utah um, was called Alaska and Me. And we broke up in like 2009. Okay. So... And then, then I put out my first solo record, probably 2011, I want to say. Okay. 2012, because yeah, I just had the 10-year anniversary. Yeah. So. Congratulations. Um, so, yeah. Thanks a lot, dude. Uh, I would like to, I mean, if you want to touch more on like the your childhood and how it got you into drugs and into music, I don't, you know, I don't want to pry too much, but like that is an interesting path, and it's um, and it's like unique, but it's also not unique. Uh. I'd just like to hear more about that if you sure. wouldn't mind. Like, were, were you doing, like, smoking pot, you know, behind the garage? Or, or, or you know, what what did it look like? You know, it always starts that way, doesn't it? Um, yeah. I progressed pretty quickly. I mean, by, by 16, I was an IV drug user. And um, oh, really? it was a gnarly phase of, you know, periods of, of clean and periods of, you know, Definitely should have had me dead or in prison. You know, some of the antics I was up to. Um, I mean, it was intense. Yeah, me too. Thank you. Um, Yeah, so what happened for me was when I finally kind of broke that spell. It was 25 or 26. I probably should know. But, I mean, it was was bad. And um, just to give, like, an anecdotal piece, Mm -hmm. there was a portion where I started – aggressively smoking crack and it was really an upgrade to how I had been living. Like I, it was like almost a solution for improvement. Um, wow. Which eventually digressed. <laughs> but um, yeah. so when, when I got off of that, I remember I was just infused with this desire to tell it through song, 
you know, kind of whatever my worldview was at that age, 25, 26. And up to that point, I'd been playing songs for five, six years, you know, covers. And mm-hmm. um, it was that phase where I got clean, where I was like, I want to just kind of share this. It was some sort of kind of therapeutic value. And I don't think that my songwriting has ever really changed from that too much, good, bad, or indifferent. I mean, I am able to write things that aren't completely self-involved at times, Mm -hmm. but I I would say largely how I write when I'm inspired to write is almost always some sort of kind of existential working out of, of, the issues I see, you know, and, you know, I, I guess as I've matured and become hopefully less self-absorbed, um, you know, I, I see a lot of those existential um, issues more universally, um, mm-hmm. you know, like how do we, you know, whether it's individually or, or communities or, you know, I guess the, the greater consciousness um, transcend, you know, these matters that cause trauma and suffering um yeah so i guess like to wrap it all up i you know, I, I could say my songwriting came out of that kind of experience it was really personal to my problems but i mean they've always kind of still stayed with those sorts of um what's the word themes yeah i i mean i can i can very much relate on that i think um you know my early songwriting started as a form of therapy for all all sorts of things and it still exists in that way but you know like like exactly like you said we hope as we age and grow to be less self-involved and and those existential things become more like you said i mean you you said it perfectly more universal and I, i try and see see those stories or the songs that i write or the things i explore to be more through other people's lenses or characters that i create and less through this like less through me and my own personal lived experience. Right. Yeah. I feel that. What's your favorite album of yours, Charles? My favorite if one I'm... that I've made? Yeah. Um, that's a good question. I, I mean, it's always the most recent one, the one, the one you're working on right summer. now. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean the one I'm working on right now, but the, the one I put out in 2022 or was it 2021, uh, 2021 time's not real anymore. Uh, Honeysuckle Summer, that's probably my favorite one as far as like a personal triumph type thing. I feel like it was the first time I was in the studio and I really like understood how to be in a studio productively. And and I had written songs that I that I had really, really um, spent the right amount of time on. Um, The one I put out before that's probably very close to tied with that. And that's the one I made with uh, Bob Hogue, I think, like a week or two before you were in the studio making a record with him. We're like, we okay. just missed each other by a few days, I feel like. I um, Yeah, so what, was that around 2016 or something like that? Yeah, that would have been 2016. Okay. Trump was yeah. freshly president, I believe. That's a um, different time. Yeah. How? Uh, what's your favorite record of yours that you've made? I'm same. I uh, it's always the most recent because it always feels like the the best reflection of who I am as a person and musically. Um, I for me, it's the one that I I just made, um, which isn't out yet. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, it's always the last album is my favorite <laughs> album. Yeah, um, it's always the most recent stuff. <laughs> which is funny, 
you know, I think about that sometimes because I remember as a kid, like you go see a concert of a band that you loved since their first album or two. And and then, the, of course, they would always play the new stuff and you'd be like, oh, I wish they'd play the old stuff, you know? Cause yeah, you, exactly. You know, that's what you, you never identify as a fan with the newest album when it's on tour. But as a, you know, as a, as a writer, I mean, it's, that's all I identify with. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's interesting. No, it's really interesting because especially my, my relationship has shifted from being the, the fan and wanting them to play the old shit to now, you know, wanting to share my new stuff, but people, you like, people don't know it and they're not familiar with it. And, uh, it is one of those weird dichotomies. There's all these little ones when it comes to music or like a creative path that like the, like the, the inherent suffering of it is like, um, I mean, and then suffering such a like dramatic word for it, but like in, uh, in that, like, I want to play my new shit, but my new shit doesn't make me money and people don't like sing the words along to me because they just haven't been able to develop relationships with it yet. But all the relationships they have with the old shit is like old news to me and I kind of want to get over that shit. And it's just like this, right. there's all these like little, little, um, things in life that are, and especially I think a creative path that, um, that are just bittersweet in that way. I found the solution to that. And it is that, um, None of it makes me any money, so I just do what I want to do. <laughs> that's that's also in the the overall scope of things. The amount of money <laughs> it makes really it really isn't significant enough to sweat over. Uh, I uh, no, I that's well, and also there's the other solution of like managing your own expectations and just being realistic about things. I think I feel like I get a little better about that as I get older. Um, do you, Ideally, do you identify yeah. with that at all? Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, if, if you're talking about just the whole making sense of what it means to be an artist, um, yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I would say, you know, I don't know if it's, it's like a little bit of one piece of um, distilling what is the reason I do this, mm-hmm. um, and, and and as that's gotten more pure, that has kind of informed my artistic direction um like such as to say early on i I mean the reason i did art was also very tied in with some sort of notion of it being successful and not that i ever don't want it to be heard but i mean like that whole idea of successful is such a nebulous um concept yeah i i I heard a quote i can't remember who said it um one time but he was like you know I guarantee that um, Bono sits around begrudging the fact he's not Elvis and, and Chris Martin begrudges the fact he's not Bono. Yeah. Like such as the say, I mean, there's always like something you're comparing yourself to. Um, yeah. That's the truth. So yeah. Managing expectations. Yeah. I, I think for me, like that has come with distilling the real need to why I would create and certainly a degree of acceptance. You know, I, I, I'd be a liar if I didn't say I I had hoped for a different trajectory to what my reception has been and what my audience has been, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, and really having to um, counter that by trying to stay grateful for what it is. Um, You know, I I don't think I have no audience, you know, would I have 
wanted it to be millions, absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, you know, that's right. Like you know, a big inspiration for me has always been Nick Cave. You know, I've just always yeah. seen him as pure. And you know, reading about his practices uh, for creating, and uh, you know, certainly he has been able to find a significant audience. But you know, I I I, I look at a guy like that, and I don't see him as a person who gives a shit. <laughs> you know, um, totally. He would probably do nearly the same thing, even if he was super underground and undiscovered. And, you know, kind of letting people like that guide my ethos as an example to look to, um, I think, has is, is helped me refine my vision of why do I continue to create <laughs> when you could otherwise look at it as a really disappointing endeavor. Um, yeah, I think there's – um, no, I, I I sorry I didn't let you finish there, but that's um I mean there's so much to that. My roommate and I talk about Nick Cave a lot and how we we love how he's just kind of just been himself and just done his thing for his whole career. And yeah, he's been able to obviously find a significant audience and become, you know, infamous in his own right, but it is like I don't you don't see him as someone who's ever like not been true to his vision and what he's in. I mean, David Bowie was the same way. Uh, and I always um, been, been really, really jealous of artists that have been able to like have a vision and just like, it's my way or the highway and I'm just going to do this and, and I'm going to stick with it. And, and, you know, obviously they, they found success on a level I never have. So it's, you, you have to compromise and whatnot, but it is definitely something to look up to. You know, yeah, I mean, I think we got to have those guides, um, you know, not just in the realms of music, but just who we are. A, a thing you mentioned, David Bowie, and I, I'm paraphrasing, but one thing that always stuck with me from him, I remember an interview where, you know, he's just talking to the fact of like, there is no separation between art and life. And I, I guess what, what that meant to me was like, whatever it is that I have to, that I have to convey. Um, can be conveyed in my beingness. Um, mm-hmm. Even when I'm not creating music or art, uh, even when I'm not performing, you know, like like a continuity and um, coherency of what, you know, and I think that's where you get an authenticity to art. And that's the best chance you have of really resonating is, if the art really is just an extension of your person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think um, that's something I I tell myself all the time is when I'm writing something, I'm like, I like this, but is this good? And it's like, well, you like it, and there's 8 billion people on the planet, so there's probably, you know, the chance that there's a significant amount of people who will also like it. It's just a matter of figuring out how to get the what you're making to those people is always – a big challenge. Um, but I, I'd like to go back on a little bit, you know, cause there is the whole, the whole thing of, you know, I can, and I can identify a lot with what you're saying. It's like, yeah, would I have liked my trajectory or my audience that I was, I am reaching by now to be significantly bigger. And yes, of course, but, but obviously we're still here doing it, you know? And so, so I guess what I'm, what I'm saying is like, 
like for me, what's, what's helped a lot is as I've gotten older, like a practice in gratitude and actually being like realizing how amazing it is that there, while it's a small number of people, that there is this number of people who really, really did what I do. That's like so rewarding. And, 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 and it's really helped me a lot. Are there things that, that like when you're really feeling down or really upset about, you know, just the reality of being an independent musician in right, like right now, like, are there things that help you kind of pull your head out of that mode or, or kind of refocus things? Yeah. I mean, gratitude is such an important daily practice. Um, and I try to stay grounded in that all the time. Uh, but in terms of, you know, my career for lack of better terms, I feel like I've graduated from much disappointment, um, you know, because I have really embraced, you know, this kind of vision of, purity of process, you know, um, mm-hmm. for example, you know, the, the record that I recently did was easily my boldest endeavor. I, I took, um, I just took a 16 piece band to this studio called East West in LA, which is like where Pet Sounds was made or Sinatra made his records. I mean, tons of, you know, tons of big, the, you know, bodyguard soundtrack, Tool did, mm-hmm. you know, Anima there, and just huge, huge, illustrious studio. And I took a 16-piece band, and my objective was to record the album in two days, all live, no overdubs, which meant, like, massive, you know, pre-production and um, a lot of front-end work so that, you know, effectively going in the studio to record was a performance um, and only yeah. point being, I mean, it was a over $50,000 project, but I felt that it was successful even before it was ever fleshed out with, with my band. I, you know, when, when I had written it, I felt such gratitude to have been a kind of conduit or channel of whatever had come out. I, I felt in full, you know, just blessed and grateful. Um, and really looked at it as like, I don't need anything else to come out of this record than to be able to make it. Mm-hmm. And I think that sets me up for a lot less disappointment in what does or does ha- does not happen with the release. Do I, you know, I'm, yeah, am I totally. going to run a radio campaign and a PR campaign? Of course. Um, but I don't, you know, I, I finally hit a point where, you know, like, I, I guess I just, I hate to keep saying this word, but I mean, like, kind of the motivation was, was so pure, you know, I mean, it was to create, then it was to, to work on that with my community of people that I care about and enjoy being with and enjoy that process, you know, to get the experience of the recording itself and, you know, how exciting that always is to be in a studio creating. Um, yeah. So I guess to get your question was, what do I do to deal with the disappointment? I, I don't feel like I, I'm even open to disappointment anymore. And I don't mean that like I'm so evolved. I've, I've been through the disappointment. Um, yeah. You know, I, you know I, I can think of the other times in my career when I, I made art that I was probably equally excited about, but also that was so tied into what was going to happen with it. You know, like mm-hmm. I really want this to generate this sort of response um, or, you know, achieve some sort of metric of, success. And, you know, I, I guess after lots of letdowns, 
Yeah, COVID really was like where the deal sealed for me on these sorts of things. Because I mean, there was there was disappointment and frustration, definitely depression, um, over you know what's happening with my music career. And when COVID happened, and you know, all of a sudden, I mean, you know, during that time, I mean, it was like promoting felt tacky. You know, I mean, yeah. apart from the COVID and the concerns, I mean, that was when you know there was, you know, the rioting and, you know, I mean, there was a lot going on socially, you know, with George Floyd and stuff like that. And it was just like, God, I mean, you would be a really tacky to be like, check out my new single um, yeah, totally. during that time. <laughs> so I guess the question was, am I still a musician if I have nothing to promote? And yeah. that caused the depression, you know, because I was so tied into like, like it was inseparable creating and promoting. And uh-huh. so it was like, okay, when you strip off promoting, what is left? And, you know, I went probably weeks or months not playing much music, not creating. But then there yeah. came a time where I found like, no, I have to do this. This is who I am. And it was it was so liberating to, to kind of hit that point. Um, I've said enough. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it's rambling. No, it's just – I I love everything you just said there is like so resonates so much with me because um because once I started re- like I mean when you when you tie your expectations or or like whether something's a success or not to outside forces I feel like you're always setting yourself up for disappointment and that's how I felt with this most recent record when it was like I remember when we had it mixed and mastered and we we're just kind of sitting on it waiting to when to put it out. Cause it was like the middle of COVID. I remember just being like, well, I've at this point I've paid off this record because I did some fundraising. And then, then I just like paid it off with government money as it was coming to me, you know? And mm-hmm. it's like, so finan- financially this record's paid for, I'm just kind of sitting on it. And I, and so there's no longer like the need to make that money back, that stress, of it and being able to listen to it without like the money tied to it and being like, I'm so proud of how this turned out. And the fact that I even like me and my friends even made this thing that it's already success, whether one copy sells or not, doesn't fucking matter. I mean, obviously we live in a capitalist society where money does matter, but in that moment or when you're able to break it down or remove, like, am I still an artist if I don't have anything to promote? Like, that's such an insane sentence, but it makes so much fucking sense. Like, it's, yeah. uh, I don't know, this this all resonated really deeply with me because um, I feel like you, it's almost like that cliche, if you're, like, going through hell, just keep going. And it's like, if you're going through the disappointment of a creative crea- career, just keep going because eventually right. either you, you have to come to terms with, like, defining everything differently. Yeah, definitely. And that's all just a microcosm of life, you know, I, I think Yeah. that all, I mean, all these processes we're talking about really are like, what's the path to freedom as a human? Yeah, I'd love for you to expand on that a little bit. Like, uh, are you, you meaning like in the Buddhist, like everything's like existence is suffering and you, you have to, I mean, I'm like such an armchair Buddhist and don't really know a lot about it. So you, <laughs> I, I you have to take it from me. <laughs> I definitely was, as I said that, like I thought about Buddhism. Um, I, I don't identify as a Buddhist. Uh, I've definitely done a lot of reading on it, but yeah, I mean, certainly like they're tenant of, you know, I mean, the release from suffering is not attachment. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I, I certainly think that applies to, 
all of our endeavors, including our artistic endeavors. Definitely. I, uh, I, would, I couldn't agree more. I think, um, or I'd like to talk a little bit more about the, the creating of this newest record and how that all came to be, because like, I, I mean, yeah, if I, if I could get 17 musicians in a room to, uh, to practice, just just for one practice, I'd consider that a fucking <laughs> success. <laughs> so so I'd love to hear I, more about your yeah. process. Yeah, it was beautiful. Um, so I had had on and off writer's block. I tend to write albums, and uh, I mean that's just kind of how my flow goes. And you know, it had been a while since I put out a record, and I wrote some songs over COVID, but they just uh, we had done one single. Um, the, the summer after 2021 um, that I liked, but I, yeah, you know, I wasn't writing a lot and I didn't, I just, you know, I was kind of going with it. And um, then all of a sudden this album just came through in a, in a matter of, I mean, maybe a month, you know, a lot of songs that were just written on the spot. And, you know, I had, I had a real sense that what I didn't want to do on this record was, so I had, I had done a live session. I'm sorry to be so long-winded, but you asked. Right. Um, it's a podcast. A, <laughs> that's what they're for. Great. I had done a, a live session with this studio where I've done some work because uh, they were launching this series. And I remember when he had sent it through to me, I listened and I was like, God, you know, that took two hours and this feels album worthy. And mm -hmm. I was just like, that's how I want to make the next record when I make it. I just want to go play. I want to, you know, now granted that session, we were playing stuff we'd been playing for a good amount of time. Um, totally. But I had this idea. I want making the record to be like that. We go in, we play music, we're all in the same room and we play it and we're done. And, you know, do a few takes. Is a take that's good? Is the take that lasts? And um, mm -hmm. so I had that notion. I did. I just didn't want to go do the studio grind, and I've spent lots of time making records. This is this is my eighth studio album, and I would say vastly oh, yeah. every other record was one of those grinds, you know, and it's overdubs and is it good enough and Pro Tools and <laughs> you know this and that. So I had that notion, oh, yeah. and as I wrote it, I also was like, this album definitely has horns, it definitely has strings, it definitely has a choir. Um, you know, and I think like one place where I can look to major gratitude is is the music community that I have and the extended community. So I I have this vision. I started hitting up people, you know, from the bands I love uh, and artists that I love. And um, you know, I mean, I mean, there were definitely some I'm not available or this is a little too extensive. But I mean, mm -hmm. you know, I. I put together the group that I wanted and um, how we worked it out was, I mean, first the core members of Decker needed to get it. So, you know, we started, we started grinding on January 1st um, with, you know, it was just all weekend rehearsals every weekend and working out the songs. And then as we had the first round of demos, we got those off to the different um, kind of sectional arrangers that we mm -hmm. had, um, like, you know, I had a guy for horns and a choir director and, you know, kind of got re referrals on any other parts, you know, any other musicians that needed to be filled at that point. And oh, yeah. then as we got closer, we started doing those full rehearsals 
Uh, yeah, I mean, speaking to what you had mentioned earlier about getting that many people in a room, I remember, I remember the first time in this rehearsal space where we had the whole band, you know, and like when like that string lift would come in or some like harmonies would 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 come in, and it was like, oh my god, I can't believe this is happening, you know, like yeah. like it's one thing to layer some strings on your record. And then you hear it and it's cool, but like it is another thing to be in a room and feel the strings come in or the horns come in where it was like, holy shit, this is happening. <laughs> yeah, that sounds amazing. That sounds really fucking cool. Yeah, I will send the, I'll send the record to you and Jeff when we get off the phone. I'd really love to listen to it. Do you, do you have any plans for release? Looking like um, probably March or April of next year. I, you know, I'm just kind of... You know, you know the process. It's it, it kind of, totally. you know, working on the a lot of the back end stuff. You know, the album art and layout and you know bios and website redesign. Just getting that all going. So, as far as you know, I mean, when you say plans for the release, what do you mean? Just, well, I mean, just a date? I mean, yeah, just a date, pretty much, or but yeah. timeline, yeah. Spring of spring of next year, I and mean, probably. Um, you know how it goes. You launch with a album announcement and single and stuff on the earlier side of the year. I, I mean, I I can't wait to share it. And um, as as much as I become pure in my intention, which yeah, I guess would allow you to just put the motherfucker out and <laughs> everything be damned. Yeah, but you there's know. a proper way to do it. You know, <laughs> totally. I mean, and it's. I mean, unfortunately, that's the like. I'm all about like grounding us in, in the reality of where we are. It's like, you know, we try and think of music as a thing above money and budgets and things like that. But the reality is like, I mean, you got to put food on the table. You've got a kid, like, you know what I mean? So if you're going to invest all this time and money in something, you got to at least try and go through the, like do the release it in a way that it can try and make you back that investment. Cause like, otherwise it's, it's, I mean, otherwise I just think you're kind of being foolish about it personally, but that's, I was definitely also, foolish on this. I, I do get the difference in in a foolish release. Um, my investment on this was definitely foolish. I I have put over fifty thousand dollars on the credit cards. Um, that's, that's a lot of money. <laughs> it, yeah, I, I, it's astonishing, really. I was talking to a friend earlier today, and as that sentence came out of my mouth, I was just like, oh. But you know, I mean, that that really was where it was like, yeah, I'm going to do what it takes to make this thing, and you know, however the details pan out. You know, I always looked at it while I was making it as like, there are plenty of people who go buy, you know, $100,000 boats or, you know, whatever. Or, you know, or a it, car. That, it, sure. Yeah, and you, I mean, so you this own is like, the masters to this record forever. You know, there's like, yeah, I I, I mean, I, I don't think, I know plenty of people who would say that's a, that's a foolish thing. And it's like, I mean, that is a lot of money, but I also think like, you own the the masters to this record. You you get the control of the release, and um, and it's like I just made a trip to to play some shows. Brought the band. We worked on a record while we were there. I ended up losing some money on the trip, and my bass player was kind of like, "Oh man, that sucks." I'm like, "Dude, this is what I spend my money on. Like, if it's like I don't I don't drink. I very I don't leave the house that much. Like, I work a lot, and I spend my money on this stuff. And sometimes it." makes me back money and sometimes it doesn't but the fact that I keep doing it is why I can keep doing it and have made a quote-unquote career out of it 
Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's all quality of life to me. Um, you know, like yeah, totally. I, I don't want I a want, Corvette. I want a record that I want to make. Why not both? No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's, I that's true. <laughs> feel like my life more and more has become like what is my offering, and I mean that was certainly involved with the record that I made. And I mean, I, there are things, you know, while very aware of the realities of Western society, um, I mean, there are things that are more important than money, you know, and and for me, certainly that is, you know, what can I bring to my fellow man and women? Um, totally. And I mean, while I don't anymore, I think there's a long time where, I mean, who I was as a musician was my identity. And, you know, some of these things we've talked about, I think have kind of alleviated and expanded that notion uh, that I see I have more to offer than just mm -hmm. my music or whatever. Uh, um, but at the same time, like I do see my musical offerings as a poignant area that does reach a lot of people. And I mean, that's worth something to me and that's worth investing in. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I think, um, if it's, I mean, there's, there's some people that would say spending a bunch of money on a record that you're not sure if you're going to make the money back on is like self-indulgent or, or blah, blah, blah. But like, like I said earlier, I think buying a fancy car is just as self-indulgent and the guitar, I mean, the, the car at some point just going to be completely worthless. The album, like that music that you're going to create will theoretically always exist on like in a file that people can listen to forever. Let's hope so. so yeah. I mean, who, who knows what, what's actually going to happen to the human <laughs> race, but, but you know, like it's it definitely like that song will hopefully last longer than the car would. I hope so, Charles. Um, what do you, I mean, I'm trying to think of what's the, can you talk a little bit about being in East West studios and, and, um, you know, what the vibe was like in there and like how you pulled off recording, like how many songs is the record and like, how did you pull it off in two days? Um, was, was there a moment when you thought you wouldn't like, could you just like explore that time a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. Um, 10 songs. Um, as far as East West, I mean, it was incredible. It was everything, you know, we could have dreamed it was. The room was beautiful, uh, insane to think. I mean, like literally Frank Sinatra recorded My Way in New York, New York yeah. in this room. Um, it's fucking crazy. <laughs> and you could feel it. I, yeah, I mean, it, there was like a residual energy in the space that you could, it just was music. Um, I believe it. I've I've been on the Sun Studios tour. You know that room's got some magic in it, and not just because it. And people still record in there. You know, like I, yeah, I, I can believe that. So yeah, I mean, it was cool how we pulled it off. I, yeah, I mean, it, it was a lot of practice and preparation, and it didn't go off without a hitch. But um, you know, it, the the people I had were such professionals. I mean, they were long days, I and mean, it was like two twelve-hour days. And you know, yeah. was, you know, the studio is a lot of hurry up and wait and um, sitting around. And you know, morale stayed very good. Um, I kept them fed and <laughs> coffeeed. Um, yeah. 
the as far as you know, was was there a point? I wondered if I could. I think you said something along those lines. One of the things that was unplanned for, yeah, you know, we we had Bob out there um, as producer. Um, oh, cool! And how he 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 wanted to do one certain song first. It was just what made most sense to him, and um, literally first song kind of blew my voice out and made it through the rest of that day kind of strained and and I guess the big thing was I was kind of blown out for day two and there was real the only stressful time because it was otherwise just it was really beautiful um but there was a point where I was like there were two songs that I was just like I don't know if I'm going to be able to hit kind of the climactic notes here and really kind of just sent me inward and you know kind of into that dark space of fear and self-doubt and um mm-hmm. wasn't even sure if I hit it um you know I it was kind of one of those things we we did our takes or my voice didn't really have much more to offer and you know you, you had Bob there saying yeah you got it it's good you know I just kind of trusted him you know didn't really know until some of the the mixes came in whether whether it was going to be there or not uh-huh so the hard part with recording live was I mean not to say there weren't any comps, but it's just not quite as comparable as when you have separation. Um, yeah, because you know, it totally you're getting bleed um, no matter what. I mean, there there are drums in the room, there's strings and horns in the room. So the the wiggle room on on you know kind of those kind of edits that you traditionally have in a recording wasn't there, but I think it all pulled off. That's awesome. And it's, I mean, I think the goal when you're going for something like that is to like, is to, if, even if, I mean, what's the Beethoven saying to play a wrong note is excusable, but to play without passion is inexcusable or something like that. It's like, or was that Mozart? I don't know. But you know, it's like sometimes if you're recording it live in a studio like that, um, the character is more important than the exact right note. Sure. Um, yeah, you know, I, it, it wasn't like rife with clubs or anything like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, certainly, I think what we wanted to capture was what does that kind of raw energy feel like, uh, as yeah. opposed to w- something that's really clinical and clean. Well, and that's that's great to have someone like Bob there too as a producer because he is so detail oriented that that like. There's not a whole lot that's going to get past him. He's got such a good ear for everything. <laughs> yeah, so, he, was a, he um, was a great coach. Yeah, he's uh, he's someone that, like, every time I've had the opportunity to work with, I've just leave the experience being like, I can't wait to work with Bob again. You know, <laughs> it's going to be yeah. – and I'm sure I'll make another record with him at some point. He's uh, – yeah, he's just the best. Um, could you talk a little bit about – Bordis Fest and how that came to be and and what your involvement with that is and and you know if it I don't know I, Jeff was telling me about it and I looked it up and it seems like a really cool thing yeah uh, Bordis Fest kind of you know I had been touring for I mean the better part of a decade pretty extensively and you know the rub there I mean it's hard I mean it was never yeah. glamorous I mean did we have amazing victories yes I mean was <laughs> Was it also often brutal, you know, absolutely, you know, whether it's yeah. empty nights or, you know, I mean, just the whole financial situation to that kind of touring and 
Yeah, but ultimately what had happened was, I mean, it was kind of one part, my fatherhood, you know, every, every year I would tour, I would kind of be like, I'm cutting it back 25% this year because I just want to be home with my kid. And then I would mm-hmm. cut it back and then I'd be like, we're cutting it more. And then I guess one part of just like, I mean, really looking it in the eye of like, it's not doing what it needs to do. Such as to say, like, I'm not seeing a logical um, increase in ticket sales. Um, yeah. You know, every market just about was, you know, it was a crapshoot whether we were going to sell 20 tickets or 100 tickets or 200 tickets. And, you know, and one time we might go to a city and sell 150 tickets, and then we go back in six months or a year and sell 15 tickets. And it is, you know, I think that was a really frustrating period uh, when I was actively touring. So when COVID hit, I I think I just was like, I'm kind of done. And that doesn't mean I'm not going to play, you know, out of market shows. It just meant Mm -hmm. I just don't see this as enjoyable anymore. And, you know, as things started opening back up, it, it wasn't a matter of like, I'm not touring. It was just like, I want to throw a music festival. Um, so, you know, what was that? It was tail end 2021 as, as things, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, depending on where you're at on the spectrum of uh, lockdown. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, I, September of 2021, things felt pretty clear to me. Um, yeah, totally. So we, we did our first music. At that point. Yeah, I, a lot of people were. Yeah. A lot of tours yeah. were getting canceled too. Um, yeah. But, um yeah, we threw our first event, I think did like 700 ticket sales, um, you know, had, you know, Phoenix Afrobeat and, and my band co-headline. Kind of the thing was always to put my band as main support to whatever, you know, solid regional headliner we had. Um, and then just kind of grew it on the on the next one and, you know, probably sold a thousand tickets to round two. And, yeah, I mean, what was very clear to me was it was really fun performing to a thousand people as far as my size of things. You know, I, I, I enjoyed having that. Totally. That uh, stage. Um, we decided to go bigger on the, on the next one. We wanted to get some national acts and kind of shopped around through some of the big talent or, you know, booking agencies. And um, however it was, we, we, we came up with, um, Arrested Development and G Love and Special Sauce for our headliners on round That's three, awesome. and it was epic. Um, Arrested Development literally was one of the best live bands I've ever seen, and I was surprised. I mean, you know, I, I definitely dig some of their songs, Everyday People, you know, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I grew up listening to them on MTV when I was a kid. I mean, they were on MTV, and yeah, and by on I mean like their shit played multiple times every day when MTV had music. Um, totally. So, I, you know, I knew him, and I was excited to have him as headliner, but, I mean, I was blown away. Uh, they had just done a world tour with Michael Franti, so I'm sure, like, you know, you know, they were pretty seasoned at that point. Um, yeah, for sure. But, you know, I've seen Bob Dylan, Neil Young, you know, Beck. You know, I've seen, I mean, I've seen the Stones a couple times, but... I would tell you, Arrested Development was one of the best live bands I've ever seen. Um, just that's, in terms that's of fucking rad performers and music ability, the band, the rhythm section was just sick. And um, that's so sick. 
that was it. So, you know, I kind of replaced touring with doing these festivals. And I mean, if I'm real, (laughs) you know, I probably hit about as many people in one show to to perform to as, as I would on, you know, half a U.S. tour or more. Um, Totally. So works for me. Yeah, that's awesome. Seems super economical, like and utilitarian, but also like way fun. <laughs> you know, like it makes sense numbers wise, but also, I mean, I've never played for a thousand people, and so um, yeah, it sounds fucking rad. Uh, I one time was playing a house show in Phoenix for some friends, and uh, and my my buddy Doug was like was there, and he's someone I've known since like high school or even junior high. And he was like, so I think he asked something along the lines of like, what's it like when you play like, like bigger shows? And I'm like, but this is pretty much the shows I play, <laughs> you know, like 20 <laughs> people in a living room, you know, every once in a while I might play to a hundred folks or whatnot, but it's like, it's like, I don't, and he's someone who goes to like music festivals and things like that, like Coachella and whatnot. I'm like, dude, yeah, you, you don't, you don't understand the planet my music career exists on. <laughs> right. You know, I will so, say I have equally enjoyed playing the 20 people, you know, when it's, when it's locked in and everyone is there. I mean, that's ultimately what I'm looking for out of a performance is connection. I've never really resonated with music festivals all that much. Even, you know, I mean, I've had some decent sets that, you know, play into a lot of people. Um, but there's something that's so detached about a festival to me. I mean, I, I'll never know what it's like to be Arcade Fire and have whatever 60, 100,000 people where it feels like you're playing in a room to 20 because it's, you know, totally. that connected. But, I mean, you know, my optimal, you know, I mean, you know Crescent Ballroom, right? Yeah. I mean, like, could you – or or where do you live? Are you in New York? I'm in New York City, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, you know, if you could play Mercury sold out, I mean, that is electric to me. Oh, yeah, totally. No, and I, I, um, even, I was telling Jeff earlier that, and I've said this on the podcast before, but sometimes when I see a friend who's on tour who it's obvious they're having a rough time, I try and remind them, like, just remember that the thing that we're out here looking for and that you really need to make you want to keep going is just like seven people in a living room. Like if you got the right seven people in a living room and you played your heart out for it and they responded well to it, you'd have the the gas in your tank to go for another two weeks. Yeah. And it's like, that's not a lot to ask for. You know, it, if it required a thousand people for me to get that gas in my tank, I'd have quit a long time ago. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I, you know, one solution I found for touring was instead of trying to get into the big rooms, like reduce the size of the room, (laughs) you know, like if you can get into some of these smaller rooms, you know, where 50, 60 people feels good. You know, I mean, that is, that is a good feeling to to have that many people. If the room doesn't hold 500, you know, (laughs) the room holds a hundred and, and you're mostly full that, that energy, can happen. I mean, to me, that is the point of performing is to have that connection. Well, otherwise, you sit around and do it in your practice space. But I mean, the reason totally. we go out is to connect. So, you know, I, I guess kind of cultivating realistically what is the size room you can best do that uh, realistically is, is kind of the task. Yeah, I agree. 
I think uh, that's that's what what I'm chasing when I'm out there is just that electricity. And um, I don't know. It's it's cool to know that there's like it it's a never ending well if you if you know where to look for it. But but also like you said, playing to a hundred people in a five hundred cap room doesn't feel great, even though it's still a hundred people. <laughs> Yeah. I'd rather do 80 in a hundred room than 200 in a 500 room for sure. Yeah. But I, I you know, all that. of this kind of speaks to what we were talking about. You know, I, you know, when I was kind of mulling over some of these, why am I in it? You know, I, I think the resounding answer was everything that I really need out of music is abundant. I can create as much as I want. I can play with, my friends and make music as much as I want. And I can perform as much as I want. Um, you know, whether it hits these other sorts of numbers is another, you know, task, but you know, all of the things that I really need, which is to create, to actually write, then to do that with other musicians mm-hmm. and then to be able to share that with people. I mean, it is all abundantly out there. And, you know, I mean, I guess you could, suggest that if you required more than that, you might be getting a little greedy um, because, you know, I mean, most anyone can find an audience. Um, yeah. I I mean, there's a, I don't know if it's Hindu or Buddhist, but I read something in a Joseph Campbell book once that just was to the work alone. Are you entitled N- never to its fruit? Yeah. That's beautiful. Like you can, that's beautiful. You can, yeah, you can never expect more than just, just the opportunity to do the thing um and uh yeah that was a really good quote for me to read at a time where i was dealing with the existential of like of making it all make sense and was the 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 disappointment worth it all and everything like that and i read that quote and that was like i mean amongst went to therapy and and quit drinking you know like did all, all sorts of other stuff but you know that was a good mantra to discover during that time yeah absolutely um, I I think we've had a really great conversation. I I really love um getting to know you and kind of dig deeper into things. I uh I'm trying to I would like to just real quick cover like how you ended up in Sedona and what Sedona, you know, means to you cuz there is kind of like this whole outside view of Sedona and I've honestly never spent a lot of time there, but I am from Pine Top Lakeside, you know, I'm from very close by and I'm familiar with the region. I'd like to just, I'd love to hear your thoughts on how, or like how you ended up there and, and like, and I don't know what Sedona means to you. Yeah. You know, I had gone to, I moved to California when I was 22. Uh, it was to go to my last rehab. Um, I was in a major, major crisis and um, I was out there for a few years, just kind of drifting, and I I'd moved to Flagstaff to finish my college at NAU. Mm-hmm. And I got done at NAU. I moved down to Phoenix, and just very quickly, I think I made it two years maybe, probably about two years before I was just like, I got to go. I'm going to go back to northern Arizona. And my, in that time frame, my, my parents had retired in St. Louis and moved to Sedona. I wasn't keen on Sedona because it's so small. Uh, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. it, it hasn't grown in size, but it, I mean, it's, you know, it's, I guess it's grown in accoutrements as it's become a tourist destination at the level oh. it has. But I just like, I remember I was like, 
my lease had run up down there. I had been substitute teaching kind of because I worked with my music and that was on summer break and it was summer and it was hot as shit. And I was just done with Phoenix. And I, so I just started turning in an application. I, my intention was to move to Flagstaff, um, mm-hmm. but a job came. I was like ready to go now. And the, jo- the first job that came through was in Sedona. So I was like, all right, I'm moving to Sedona. And I, I moved here and, you know, I, I probably spent the first few years trying to get out. Um, I remember the first tour I did was kind of explicitly with the thought of I'm going to figure out where I'm going to move on the West Coast. And, you know, in there, you know, my my son's mom got pregnant and, um, and I just kind of, well, I guess I'm stuck in Sedona. Um, but what it means to me now, I mean, I mean, it is the place of my, you know, all woo-woo aside, I mean, just spiritual rebirth, I, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know how or why whatever happened happened here for me i mean it's a ever unfolding rebirth i guess but you know i i think a major component was this was really the first place i experienced like the the healing that takes place in nature you know just gradually began spending more and more time on the land and it's it's you know it's beautiful here majestic i mean there's a reason it's such a tourist destination and you know taking time to get away from some of the more kind of touristy places and just really get out on the land and these epic settings was super transformative uh for me so that's a large part of what it means you know i mean the land getting on the land is so accessible here there was a brief stint i moved up to um sonoma kind of napa valley area for one year uh, a few years back and you know, get the redwoods up there and, you know, certainly more rural than city life. But even there, it was like to go on a hike required a good 20 to 30 minute time investment, which makes it less accessible. You know, I don't yeah, have 30 totally. minutes to go somewhere to do something else for 60 minutes. And whereas here, I mean, I can literally, and it's largely always been this case, I can walk out my door and, you know, hit forest land, if not drive three minutes um yeah so you know i mean i can't emphasize enough how critical that's been to me like i would tell anyone i mean if you suffer from depression i mean you really need to spend time in nature i mean there's a lot of other things i'd suggest to someone with that but i you know number one you know it's like go to a park and put your feet in the grass um and you will you know you will get a shift um so that's a big part of what it means. And I, you know, I, I guess kind of speaking again to when I moved away, I, I, when I, when I returned to Sedona after that year, I mean, this is just the place where I have community and, yeah. you know, having moved a lot as a kid, you know, I mean, it was, it was almost nothing for me to move to a new city or a new state, you know, like never really having those roots and really realizing, you know, I, so when I, when I left here, I'd lived here for a decade and, you know, I, I guess I thought I would just restart like I had so many times in my life and realizing even with somewhat of a network up in the Bay Area from, you know, all my time touring through there, good friends, good musician friends, and, you know, like, I mean, a, a bit of a pulse on the scene. Um, but, you know, I really realized like how critical, especially as you get older where it's not as easy to meet people, you know, but how critical it is to have community. You know, yeah. You know, if, if I would say like so much of our um, personal pr- uh, issues, you know, I feel like are, are, are answered 
in time on the land. Like, I feel like so many of our, you know, society issues are solved in what community you really have. I mean, you look at the political reality of our country now and, you know, I mean, just, you know, you know, oftentimes, you know, you know, looking at what is activism, you know, and, 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 you know, yeah. just, I mean, like how ridiculous, you know, the position of president has become, I mean, like, yeah. I mean, Obama was, was cool, but I mean, every, you know, I mean, you could look at just years of jokers at this point. I mean, it was like fucking ridiculous, but you know, totally. I, I guess speaking to like community is where it's at. If anything is going to change, it's going to change in your community. And, yeah, I'm, I'm you know, I mean, to me, that's where real activism is. Yeah, resistance is, like, mutual aid is the best form of resistance, in my opinion, is, like, looking out for one another and making sure your community's taken care of, because, like, that's what you can actually affect. That's real. Where you can actually, that's where you can actually make a difference. The president's not, I mean, it's like, uh, Joe Biden's a perfect example. He voted in favor of railroad worker rights 20 years ago, and then he just fucking robbed them of, of sick days you know it's like it's like no politician's gonna ever fucking save you and aoc and all the people that were supposed to be are that are supposed to be the good people voted to like shut down the railroad strike you know what i mean it's like uh, yeah there's no politicians ever gonna save you your community the reality is i'm sorry to interrupt i'm just saying yeah your your community is who's gonna actually show up and like make a difference when the shit hits the fan i feel like if there is change to happen, that's where it happens. And it, it's it's really clear that all of these mechanisms have been put in to really divide us. Um, yeah. You know, if, if I spent time on Facebook, I would have to hate every Republican because, yeah. but I, you know, but I mean, conversely, I mean, there are people, you know, who for whatever reason I know that identify that way, you know, face to face in real life, that's where we can meet. That's where we can meet and 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 grow together and heal together. Um, yeah. Anyway, all long way of saying, you know, I mean, Sedona for me is, I mean, it's it's the land and it's, you know, at age forty two, just realizing what what it means to have community, you know, to 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 give and to receive, um, you know, however that yeah, looks. Totally, I think, I mean, I think that's really beautiful, and I think. Uh, you know, especially there's like such a cliche of, at least in my mind, or who I was of the young man just on the road, just because it's like, because there's nowhere that you really call home. But then, you know, once you found that, that place, it's like, you know, you, you know it and you don't want to leave it. And, uh, and I mean, I, I have such a, such a soft place in my heart for Northern Arizona. So, um, you know, anytime I can hear someone talk about that place in a positive light, I'm I'm open for it. <laughs> sure. I mean, it is magic. I, there's there's no way around. There's there's something going on here. I don't I don't get into the vortex, you know, talk. But I mean, it's palpable. Um, you spend some time out there, with or without the use of psychedelics, and uh, <laughs> you you can feel the the magic going on. No, I I believe it, and I um. I I'm really glad we got to talk about it Brandon it's been it's been awesome I think uh I'd really love to hear your new record uh could you tell people where they can find out more about you where they can follow you on the internet um you know any of your older records that they should check out right now and listen to and, and order copies of and 
you know, whatever you want to plug, please let them know where yeah, they can sure. find Thank more you. about you. Yeah, I mean, it's Decker, lowercase d, with a period at the end, and we are on, you know, all the major streaming platforms, Spotify, Apple Music, Tidal, you know, Bandcamp, SoundCloud. Uh, DeckerMusic.org is my out-of-date <laughs> website that needs to be <laughs> updated, um, you know, as well as I do. I mean, it, it, at this day and age, I mean, you just want people listening on Spotify and Apple Music, whatever they listen to, and hopefully totally. giving it a like or popping it on a playlist and giving a follow, help those algorithms out. Um, totally. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I, I imagine – oh, Instagram, Decker Music, um, all one word. But then the album will be coming out early 2023, and I suppose if you follow any of those or sign up for the mailing list on the website, you can get updates on the on the new record as that all begins to unfold. And I will definitely send uh, you and Jeff the link. And um, also, I'm going to check out that uh, 2021 record of yours as I get in the car here shortly. Hell yeah. No, I'd love to hear what you think of that. And please send me a copy of the new record. I'll give it a listen. When it comes out, I'll give it a plug here on the podcast. And uh, love to have you back on sometime. This has been an absolute pleasure. Hopefully our paths will cross in person and maybe we'll get to share share a stage together sometime. I think it'll happen, Charles. Thank you so much for taking out the time and uh, wishing you all the best on all your endeavors. Thank you. You too, man. You take care. All right, brother. Talk soon. We'll see you. One time I was drunk on a morning show in Montana. The host asked me if I had a nickname. Said my friends called me the Dirtbag King. She said on the air I started giggling Hasn't had me back but now I've got this podcast Welcome to my podcast